Hall. My name's Russ Concha, and I'm Al Carley. And to the loving God and sponsorship and the home group, I have been sober since December the 10th, 1975. <laughs> and for that, I'm most grateful. Thank you. Um, where to start? <coughs> I've, uh, I'm pleased to be here, and I'm most grateful to be sober. Um, uh, to begin with, uh, I've heard about this group uh, for some years now, and I've heard about this roundup, and I have wished to be able to be here. I remember when you had the first one, and I wish to be here, uh, particularly because it's related to uh, enthusiasm, and, uh, and I like the word enthusiasm. I, uh, I have an enthusiasm inside, and I was thinking about when I got here, and since I got here, and I'm, I don't... I have a lot of things I'd like to say to you, just about you, because there's something very special here. Other speakers have mentioned it, and I'd like to mention it. Uh, and uh, as best I can define it, the enthusiasm here is so thick you have to cut it with a knife. It's just a, just a, it really is. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling. I've, uh, I'm not a person who speaks a lot uh, as a speaker, and uh, when I am asked, I always say yes, and I'm generally very nervous. And, uh, and I think a lot about what I'm going to say. <laughs> and I, uh, I, it's an honest program, and I've shared some with someone just before the meeting. I have not had to think about what I'm going to say. You have made me so comfortable. It's just, it's almost frightening. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to fail, in a sense, because <laughs> I have not thought of some good things to say. And I, and I thank you for that, because it's, uh, it's your enthusiasm. It's what's here. It is really, it is very, very unique. I've, uh, I've had the privilege of going to Alcoholics Anonymous regularly all around the world uh, and, and observing it and uh, studying it and uh, being involved with it uh, enthusiastically as much as I can. And it is very special here. You, you would not know what you've got here. I'm sure you know what you've got here, but it really is. Today I was thinking about, we all know what the word enthusiasm means, but where does it come from? And uh, I was thinking if somebody asked me, where does enthusiasm come from, how would I, def how would I explain? Say the word, you know, what would I tell them? And uh, the best I could think of it is in enthusiasm comes from gratitude from getting out of hell. Because that's, I've seen as best as I can explain where I got mine from. I'm so grateful to have gotten out of hell that I'm extremely enthusiastic about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous <coughs> for what it's done for me. And so that's as, as near as I can define where it comes from in my life. But I'm pleased I have it and I'm pleased to be here. I'm most grateful to. Uh, Peggy and Dick for making the most welcome, and uh, I've been very fortunate to uh, to uh, been connected with Peggy and Dick several times around the country. I was here. Some of you know I was here uh, a couple of times before, and uh, at the Lincoln uh, Roundup or uh, Spring Fling or something. I'm not sure what it was, but it was very good. And uh, <laughs> and uh, on, a, on one of the speakers uh, finished uh, with singing the uh, Amazing Grace. <laughs> and uh, I had never seen that before. <laughs> and uh, and I, I really lost myself there. I, <laughs> I had to put a handkerchief in my mouth to stop myself from screaming. And uh, to make it worse, every time I got it under control and tried to pull a hanky out of my mouth from choking, Peggy was behind this woman going, ah, and laughing. <laughs> yes, absolutely destroyed me. And I've never forgotten it. And, uh, but I was hoping everyone else would have forgotten it. And uh, <laughs> when I got to the 
for the roundup here uh, yesterday. A young lady ran up to me and she said, I remember you. You're the one who put the hanky in your mouth <laughs> at, at Lincoln. And so, you know, I have good memories about being here. It, it is, uh, but it is very, very good to be here. And uh, as I say, it really is an enthusiastic uh, roundup. And I'm, I'm most grateful. I, as some of you have noticed, I've been taking photographs of what's on the wall. And, and I'm, I'm, I want to take this home with me. I want to take a lot of these with me, actually, to be quite honest, because I need help uh, uh, down home... Uh, AA in, in New Zealand um, is, uh, is not like this necessarily. It, is, it, it works, and it works well. If you're new, uh, I want to, if nothing else you understand about me, I want to try and get this over, and that is to tell you two <coughs> things that I think are very important if you're new, if you can grab hold of it, if I can get it across to you, and that is that it's okay not to drink and that there's life after sobriety. And, uh, and it really is, and you can see here, if you're just new here, it is hard not to enjoy this weekend, you know. And uh, when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I could not imagine it being okay without drinking, and I couldn't imagine life without a drink, you know. And uh, and I was shown here that it's okay not to drink, and that there is life after drink, uh, after drink, after sobriety. And, uh, but uh, I was going to try and be cute and say I'm from the south, but as you can tell by my accent, I'm from the south. And I'm I'm so far south they call it down under. <laughs> and uh, and so my sponsors always reckon that I'm, I'm upside down and I talk through a different place. <laughs> so, uh, so if you don't understand what I'm saying, um, you know where I'm coming from. <laughs> but uh, it is, it's, it's really good to be here. Um, and another thing, I talked about traveling all around the world. I've been very fortunate uh, in sobriety to have done that and to watch Alcoholics Anonymous grow all over the world. I have taken the enthusiasm that you have, because I believe I have the same. I am, I've been educated by a similar uh, structure, and I love it dearly. Uh, I did not, unfortunately, find that in New Zealand, but I have tried to take it there, and I'm not, we're making headway slowly. But uh, I've taken that enthusiasm all over the world, and it, and it really is good, you know. Uh, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to, as I say, be involved with Alcoholics Anonymous worldwide uh, because of my occupation, and, uh, and I've had the privilege of doing many things. I have simulated what I have thought Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob would have done from time to time, trying to carry the message to countries that didn't have the message, in places where there were no meetings, where I had to stay for several days at a time and, and uh, listen to my head thinking. I've always had difficulty with myself as being an alcoholic, and I've, I identified the day I heard that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And I know that. I'm going to be an alcoholic for the rest of my life. I, I know that really, truly inside of me. And uh, because every morning I have to wake up with me. And uh, my head is always waiting for me and says, oh, good, you're awake. I want to do <laughs> And I, I have learned, if you're new, I have learned an antidote for that, uh, if you're quick. And uh, when I first got sober and my head was always very sharp, it was ready to leap on me the moment I opened my eyes. And uh, I learned to take AA actions. I was taught to take actions. I was taught to do things I did not believe in to keep that at bay. And, uh, and I had many things. On the phone, I had a book that I was to read every morning. I had to read, and I say I had to. I don't mean I was told I had to. I mean I knew I had to if I was going to survive. And I had to, as I say, do things I did not believe in. I read that just for the day card every morning, hating it. 
start reading it, you know, and I would, and it said, and the guy that told me to do it said, you've got to pick one of those items as your gift for the day, your, your goal for the day. And I can remember saying, reading, just for today I will be happy. And I thought, bull, rubbish. I'm, I'm so miserable, I'm not going to pick that one today. No, that's the last one I want to try, you know, and so on. But uh, as I say, I learned actions to put that at bay. In my travels, where I was in countries where there was no meetings, uh, my head was always waiting. It was, you know, really waiting because I had no defense against the, the, the nature of the illness as I understand it. Uh, and so I had to try and take actions. And you can just read so much of the book when you're lying on the beach in Tahiti with, uh, with topless young ladies all around you. And it's really hard to be sincere uh, <laughs> about what the book's saying <laughs> and, and trying to weigh the balance of, you know, do you really want sobriety or are you in heaven? <laughs> and, uh, so it wasn't always easy, and so I had to go to extremes. I really had to go to, as I've heard somebody say, I think it was my sponsor, I had to go to the whip several times uh, around the world. And on one occasion, I got the book in French, because I was on an island where they speak French and, uh, and an island language. And I, uh, I thought, I've got to do something here, because I'm getting desperate. You know, I really, I've been coming to this island too long and hanging around, you know. And, and, and I'd learned, or been pointed out to me, and I know it's true, that if you sit in the barber's chair long enough, you'll get a haircut. And I was sitting in the barber's chair on that island, and I had to find some way of getting out of the chair. And so I, I tried to carry the message. And uh, I had found a guy on the flight that also was in AA, but he wasn't doing too well, so that was a help. And I said, listen, we're going to go 12-step in today, tomorrow morning. And he said, where are we going to go? I said, I don't know. We'll find out. So I got up in the morning. I rang the operator, and she spoke French. I spoke a little bit of French, but not enough to. And I said, can you find me a Catholic priest that speaks English? And she rang back a little while and did. And I, rang, you know, I spoke to him. I said, I want to come and talk to you. And uh, would you spare me some time? And, and so I did. And I walked through the beaches and through the coconut palms with that book and the literature under my arm. And this other guy with me. And I said, I'm sure we're Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson. <laughs> and, uh, and we were able to make progress there. And I was able to leave the message there. And uh, there is a connection there now, I believe, in, uh, in that, on, that, on that island. And so on. So in relation to what I'm sharing, if you knew that there is life after sobriety, that there is many things I would have never dreamed I was able to do. I was able to, as I say, right through the East, and uh, and uh, I could spend most of the hour just talking about what I've been privileged to be involved with in reference to carrying the message to help me, you know, me first. I am a very selfish person, and I've had to do this to survive. But uh, as I say, in reference to getting s sober, uh, I've, uh, as, you, as I say, I'm, I'm from New Zealand, and uh, and I was brought up uh, with a belief it is sort of a policy uh, or a, an understanding. Our country is known as a country of uh, rugby, racing, and beer. And uh, to be a man, you have to be involved with all three. And uh, and so that's the way it was always been. In other words, you stand up the bar and be a man. If you're going to be a New Zealander, you have to stand up the bar and drink like a man. And uh, I learned that from when I was very small, and uh, my dad was a drinker and a bad drinker, and he did not handle alcohol well, and uh, I never wished to be like him, and I thought, I'm never going to drink when I, because he really was, he become what he never wished to become, I am positive. I did not know that for some years, but uh, he become a wife beater and a child beater and many things, and so when it when I came to the age of, of where I could drink, or uh, to that age where I was about 14, I had made up my mind that I would not drink, and uh, 
I got in with a bunch of guys that I was running with, and uh, we were party Saturday night, and, and of course, you know, they said, have a drink, and I said, no, I don't want to drink. And I didn't want to drink because of the reference point I had all my life. You know, that reference point was fear, and uh, I never wished to be like my dad, you know, and that, of course, I didn't realize that's quite abnormal, that most men wish to be like their dad, or that is the general human ideal, I suppose. And, uh, but I did not want to drink, and they looked at me. Uh, I remember what made me drink that night, was they looked at me and without saying anything the, the, the look that I read or at least identified with is that if you don't drink you will not be part of us you will not be part of us and I wanted to be part of I would felt so different all my life because my dad was a town drunk and, and so on and I just so desperately and so I drank and, uh, and I drank and I did not handle it and I got drunk uh, I woke next morning in terrible embarrassment uh, because I suspected that I had acted badly and I, my, my friends come around and told me and they did they said you were really goofy last night Russ and I remember that as though it was yesterday that I remember thinking god damn it I'm, I'm going to have to learn how to drink I'm going to have to learn how to stand up the bar and drink like a man I don't want to be a drunken fool like my father and so I set about for the next 21 years to try and stand up the bar and drink like a man now, the one thing I never wanted to be in my life was an alcoholic. And it was embedded very deeply in me never to be an alcoholic. So I really put in a lot of hard work to try and drink like a man. And I was, my body was not something that accepted alcohol very quickly. It did not take much to get drunk. And I hated being drunk. And so I learned lessons as many as I have to put my finger down my throat and, and empty out and then start again. And end up being the most soberest drunk at a party and getting the girls and, and just... There were some extra points out of that, you know, and so on. So, <laughs> but uh, as I say, I learned to do that. And uh, as I say, I never wanted to be an alcoholic. And, uh, and I had difficulty coming here and being an alcoholic. And when I look at it today, and if you're new and you don't want to be an alcoholic, or you don't like, or you're whatever, how you feel about it, today I'm most comfortable about being an alcoholic. And I give my full name, and I'm not afraid of that. And I'm most comfortable with giving my full name. And you know, and so on. But I wasn't always like that. And uh, the reason I can give my full name now, public or however, not any breaking <coughs> violation to traditions, but and that is that uh, I have a disease called alcoholism, and, dis and that disease comes in people and not in bottles. And my definition of an alcoholic is the one that's in the book there where it says where men and women have lost the ability to control their drinking. And I, I know I've lost the ability. If I hadn't, I'd still be out there. I, I love drinking. You know, so I, I don't argue with that part about being an alcoholic anymore. But in reference to my progression, uh, as I said, I, I always had that terrible feeling. I learned to handle it better. I, uh, I got drunk periodically, badly. I was ashamed usually. And so I vowed never to do that again. And I rarely do. As far as I can remember, I hardly ever... Um, did the same thing twice, embarrassingly. Like I got drunk and I acted badly. I, I got drunk again, but I never acted the same way. I always did something different each time. And so the deception was always, I was never able to see myself. I had a sort of an ongoing guard about being an alcoholic. And uh, so I was looking back, I, even to this day, and my wife is in the room, even right to just prior to me coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, she still couldn't quite tell when I was drunk drunk. And, and I was drunk drunk. She could, I could still hide it. I could, I'd taught myself to act sober, and I was just rotten drunk behind my eyes. I was just legless, but I just was so hyped about being an alcoholic, and I was just one of those type of people, and I practiced to do it. But uh, as I say, I, like many of us here, I, uh, I wanted to succeed. One of the things that I did not know I, the problem I had 
was I had dyslexia and uh, and so I was I, I missed out on at least 50% of my education through the embarrassment and the inferiority complex of it and I struggled very hard and I hid behind hiding it I, and I spent a lot of hours thinking about on after I left school and I left school with the education of a 10 year old and I was embarrassed about that because I couldn't learn I just, and, they do, and I was I was uh, brought up in a convent and if there's any Catholics in here those rotten nuns beat the hell out of me too <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so on and, and one of the strange things that I, I was just unfortunate but I don't think they knew what was wrong with me but uh, if you when being dyslexic as I was the way I was in reference to reading for entertainment the nuns would get me to read to the class and uh, if you've heard somebody read dyslexically particularly when you're young you really do mix those words up and say them backwards and it is quite funny I would assume because I was always laughed at you know but the embarrassment and the pain of it I said to hell with you I ain't going to read again and uh, I would think I said that when I was about 11 years old and I never read aloud again until I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and I refused to I said oh, you can shoot me I will not read aloud I will never be laughed at again from that and so a lot of my feelings for drinking or the relief of drinking as which alcohol did for me as it does for all of us was because of other areas not you know they did not make me alcoholic by any means I mean I was my gun was loaded I, I was an accident looking for somewhere to happen you know and when I first drank uh, it, it was the first shot out of the barrel and uh, I never saw I never had any surprise when I first drank as I've already pointed out to you but something of course did happen and that was that alcohol made it better and uh, and as I say as I progressed I avoided many things and I tried to succeed now because I was named a dummy and uh, you know and I was ridiculed by my own failures of, as an education and so on I could I knew I'd never succeed in life and I thought what a rotten dirty life and if there's a God he's a rotten bastard and I really was angry with that part of life and so I thought I'm gonna have to do the best I can for myself and so I set about and uh, as I say on uh, just to give you some power of, of avoidance of discovery that I was dumb and yet inside inside of me I had a never-ending assurance that I really wasn't dumb at all I was very very intelligent that I had no way of getting it out and I was torn between being a dumb SOB and being highly intelligent inside and having no way and a big wall between it and no way of getting it out and the only relief I got was having a few drinks and I hid behind that and so I would never let you see I was really a dummy because I really was clever not clever than you but intelligent inside and I was never couldn't come out and so as I say the pain of the embarrassment was much more than the inquiry to survive or you know to do better for myself and on one occasion on one year I had 13 jobs because in New Zealand it was easy to get jobs and I had 13 jobs and every time it looked like I was going to get discovered about not being able to read and being dumb I'd just fire myself and move it on in uh, month after month two weeks here three weeks here and every time it would say no this is not quite it either you know and I would move on again and I did not see this as a you know I just saw it as a rotten break in life with the pain that I felt inside of me I felt that life was a cosmic joke and, and it was just you, you scratch and do the best you can for yourself and you know move it on and as I say I, I had this urge inside to to do right and uh, and succeed and so on and so I set about to try and do that and I uh, I got in the army uh, I got married um, I tried to be a good husband and a father as the children come along and so on but my drinking always progressed and uh, as I say sometimes I handled it well and sometimes I didn't um, 
what I uh, what I did notice is that without knowing I didn't notice I when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous I was extremely dumb about my situation in my life uh, by the time I got to Alcoholics Anonymous I would have traveled oh three to four million miles around the world and yet I was extremely dumb about my situation I was dumb about what was wrong with me I was dumb in observation of my life and all I could looking back in it all I could see was just periods here and there and uh, I heard a terrible saying when I got here and I I, I don't like using profanity from the podium and it's, it's not good but is the greatest expression and if, uh, if you knew I'm only going to say it for the new people anyway so it might make them feel better because I used to feel rotten when I was at meetings and uh, I heard somebody stand up here and it was actually a woman who said it so I always remember that. she said that she felt that life was a shit sandwich and every morning she had to get up and take a bite of it and that's how I saw my life that's basically how I saw it once I got to AA because no matter how I succeeded and I did I set about to succeed because that inside drive and that outside madness was the best thing that went for me was a few drinks and so I didn't set out to be a drunken fool but I, I, I was a drunken fool periodically always hiding itself because I had this urge of embarrassment and so on but uh, as I say, I, I set about to do better for myself. I worked to be a good husband and a provider. I worked two jobs for six years, night and day, you know, just trying to make ends meet. And one of the things that helped give you some idea of the dumbness of my life was that I had built, with my wife and I, we'd built our own home. And the neighbor next door, who only had one job and a lesser job than me, had his house and a car and a nice <coughs> caravan and his garden and his concrete piles were down and his house was in order and I earned twice as much money as him and my house was upside down it really, my piles were half finished everything in my house was half finished and I couldn't make out why and the best, the best rationale I could come up with and I wasn't drinking a lot then I was trying to do the right thing because I didn't want to be like my dad and the best I could come up with was that he was a religious git you know, that's why he's doing well those religious kids, they always do well you know, and that's as good as I could explain to myself and then I'd go and have a few drinks and forget about it you know, and resent him I really resented him and my wife would say isn't our neighbor really nice, aren't they a nice family and I used to think yeah, you know, and I would think, but I thought you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, and so I never saw the progression or the illness except in observation and I'm able to tell you about it now but back then I could not see it but I, I wanted to succeed. I had a tremendous surge, surge inside of me to succeed. And there was a particular type of work I was in. I was a, uh, I was a I did many things to succeed. But anywhere where I had to have an education, I avoided. And uh, on one occasion, I became a wine steward. I was invited to do a wine steward's job. And so I become eventually, of course, become a professional wine steward and waiter and, and uh, flight purser and so on. And I joined an international airline and so on. <laughs> To join the international airline, I had to. They had an entry form which required um, three years secondary, which would have been finishing school at the age of 17. And I said, as I finished about with a 10 or 11 year old education, so I knew that I don't know how I'm going to get in here, but I'm going to get in here somehow. So I thought, well, I'll go back to learn to read and write at school at night school. And uh, and as I said, my drinking was progressing, and my wife was going crazy. And one of the sad parts about that is that my alcoholism, not my drinking, but my alcoholism, made my wife crazy. And she used to run away from home and do crazy things, grab the kids and run out of the house. And it was not my drinking, because I really wasn't drinking a lot. 
but it was the alcoholism. And, and I did not see that. I used to say, God, she's a crazy... She'd explain some insane thing and then run out of the house. and say, what the hell's wrong with her? And I did, I, now I know what was wrong with me because it was I was making her crazy. I was giving her illogical suggestions and directions to a logical person, a person who saw logic, who'd been brought up in a loving family and understood common sense. And I was not giving her common sense. I was giving her obsessive madness that I had no idea what the hell was wrong, you know. And as I say, the, to get to try and get me to change my direction again, she said, you're going to pull that application for me. And I said, no, no, I, I can't, I can't, I'm not ready yet. And I was going to night school to learn to read and write. And, and uh, so she said, well, let's pull it in, you know. And so we started and we tried to pull it in. And she, when it came to education, I put down uh, presently attending King's College. I thought, that'll get them. And it did. Because they never queried my education. I mean, anybody who's going to King's College has really got to be up. And uh, so it was something that slid in. But as I say, I've become uh, uh, working for this international airline. And it was the most ideal thing that I have ever could have ever dreamed of. I mean, my higher power, in a sense, looking back, he was looking after me then. He put me in a job where I was uh, able to be permanently on a geographic around the world. <laughs> I, uh, I could... I could do anything I wanted to do, and I could drink whenever I wanted to drink, and go wherever I wanted to go. I could do anything, and, uh, and I loved it. I, uh, I really did. I, I really, in a sense, for an alcoholic, when I look back, just as a matter of interest, it was like being put it, putting a, a person, a potential alcoholic, in a test tube to advance the, the system. You know, in other words, to find out quickly what will happen if we do this, this, and this, and this with this person because that's what it was like in that job. I was put in a test tube with an endless supply of booze and an endless supply of anything I wanted and set free. <laughs> and, uh, and as I say, I had a, a very hectic... Uh, the next eight years was extremely hectic. But my drinking progressed. And it progressed uh, rapidly because the situations created, but the, the, as it advanced rapidly, also the situation was that because it was geographical, I never had to face my problems. If I was acted badly, uh, on one occasion I woke up drunk in a, in a room and, uh, the, and I looked at my watch and it was, it was a quarter to five and something in my head, I didn't remember getting there, but my head said, uh, it, call time is five o'clock, you, you've got to get, and I jumped up and I threw some clothes on and I, I knew I was in, in my own hotel and I ran downstairs and I ran outside of the, there was a taxi outside the hotel and I said, take me to my hotel. And he said, uh, where's your hotel? I said, I don't know, where am I? And he said, oh, you're outside hotel. I said, no, 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 where am I? He said, oh, you're in so-and-so street. He said, no, what bloody country am I in? <laughs> and I had no idea where I was, you know, and uh, these situations started to come down the pipeline. But these bad situations were always covered by the fact that I moved to the next country next day, and I never was able to have to face the problem, as you are if you are in a situation, at a home situation. And so my es drunkard escapades... And the, uh, and the degradation of drinking was always hidden in another place. And I rarely ever had to face them, in a sense. But of course, as we all know, it, it's a progressive illness and it progressed in me. And uh, eventually, what got me to Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the strange things as I had, not strange, but one of the things I had seen growing up is the lack of moral ethics in my, well, with my dad and, you know, and the madness and so on. So I had set a certain standard of ethical behavior, if you word it that way, um, to live by. And in the last couple of three years, I lost it. I lost all of that. And what got me into Alcoholics Anonymous was 
that, and I've tried to explain this as best I understand it, and that is that in the book it talks about the different stages of alcoholism and the moving out of one stage and into a second stage and a third stage and maybe the fourth stage. I believe I moved into a, another stage for the many years for my own personal reasons, as I'm sure you can understand, and that is I never wanted to be an alcoholic. So I was very, very careful to watch my behavior when I drank. And I controlled my behavior for at least at least 17 or 18 years of my drinking, generally. And I say generally, that didn't mean I didn't get drunk and do a, put on a bad scene, but I didn't do it regularly and I was very conscious of it and so on. But what got me into Alcoholics Anonymous was the last couple of three or four years of my drinking, where I lost the ability to control my behavior once I drank. And that's what terrified me. That's what brought me in here. My drinking didn't bring me in here. Here's what I did when I did drink. And it terrified me. I lost all everything in my life and I did not know what was wrong with me. I did not know. I just had a, a maddening run. I was on a fast run playing around the world and just and nothing was ever enough and I was drinking more regularly and I was blaming the crews. I thought if I knew I could fly with a crew that didn't drink I really could do well here. But I just could never find a crew that didn't drink. You know, and it, and, and because I was never looking. Because if I didn't have a crew that didn't drink I found another crew that were drinking and blamed them and so on. The disease itself really had me in the grip and as I say, I started to become the best that I've ever been able to explain it. And what happened to me is I became rude, crude, and unattractive, to say the least, in my own self, let alone everybody else that was observing me. And to go on top of that, blackouts, partial blackouts, were happening a lot. I was waking up next morning doing things I couldn't believe I had done the night before. I, I did things like because you, when you fly, and as many of you have never flown and you've been around the world, you can imagine all the exciting things you do and that, you have, you really lose a few things and, you, and nothing is ever really that exciting anymore. And so your whole trip is, say, well, where are we going to this time? We're going to up to Hawaii, up to Los Angeles, down to Tahiti, back up to LA, over to Honolulu, down to Fiji. And you know, what can we really get up? I really want to get some this. And the mind would away to go and think up the most bizarre thing to do that will build my self-esteem or my my self-worth or my ego to make me look good to the crew because I was feeling lesser because it was eroding any self-worth that I was building I was losing it quicker and faster and I couldn't believe I didn't realize this and so I would plan some real madness things that I could get up to the mischief I could get up to and so on and it would just got worse and worse and I had no idea and as I say I'd, I was getting partial blackouts and on one occasion at home in front of my family and my wife and party and friends and so on and, and the party was quiet and it really wasn't really buzzing and God, it wasn't, an, it, wasn't an, it wasn't a flight crew party at all. It was, it was. So I didn't even believe in the first one. He said, why? I said, well, I'm not really powerless over alcohol. I said, I haven't had any booze for about three months. And I said, and uh, my life's not unmanageable. I said, I've got a wife and three kids. I get two cars, a boat, a home on the beach, Ponderosa. Uh, and I fly around the world, I get money in the bank. And he said, uh, well, what are you doing here then? And I was at an outpatient at a nut house at an AA meeting. <laughs> and, uh, and I was able to concede very smallly that people whose lives aren't unmanageable do not come to Alcoholics Anonymous. Your life has to be unmanageable for you to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I admitted that. Not to him, but to me. You know. So I resented him for a week and I thought, because he kept coming back each week. It was a meeting that was taken at this nut house. And uh, so I, because uh, uh, I, I not really usually say this, but I attended that nut house and flew at the same time uh, without anyone knowing, you know. And, uh, on my days off, I attended the, you know, I attended this place. And, uh, because I had to do something. I didn't know what was wrong. I could not conceive into being what I was because I did not have 
the seeming needed what was in AA, the, the loss, the degradation, I did not have that. and I was, There was no one down there similar to me. But as I said, I challenged the man the following week in reference. I thought I'll get him on the second step because I, have, I've, I don't believe in God. I've never really ever believed in God. And so I said to the guy, I know I'm crazy and I'm nuts. And I, but I said, I couldn't have used that second step. He said, why? I said, because I don't believe in God and I never have and I'm not going to. And he said, but it doesn't mention God, Russ. And I said, yes, it does. He said, no, it doesn't. Why don't you read it? And I had to turn, humiliated me, made me look away and read it because I couldn't remember it. But I, I said, higher power. And he said, well, I said, higher power. And he said, that's, I said, that's God. And he said, no, it's not. He said, you give me a definition of a power greater than yourself. And I said, I thought, I'll tell him. I'll tell him the truth. And I said, well, outside of a human being, I cannot imagine a, a power greater than myself. I, I don't believe in a creator. I believe we came from evolution. And, and we're just a cosmic joke. I said, I said, trees growing crap is rubbish. And uh, he said, oh, well, if that's, if that's the way you see it, he said, uh, he said, you live by the sea, don't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, the tide's coming in tonight and it's going out again and you can't stop it. He said, you're not so smart after all, are you? And I, he gave me a maybe. Because I know, I know the moon moves the tide, but what holds the moon up? And it, and it sowed a seed. I thought, maybe what he says is true. Maybe there is something out there. I hope so. And that's all I thought when he did that to me. And, uh, and sure enough, I was able to do that because I didn't see the first word in that, in, that, uh, in that step where it says came to believe, something in front of you, not go back to something because that's what I thought they were telling me. And it was something. And so I, I did exactly, and that's why I tried to share with somebody the other day. If you don't believe the steps, argue with them. I did. And I was given answers that I was able to continue to defy. I thought, if he's so right, because sometimes I, I liked what he said and other times I disliked, I thought, I'll do it. And I got so desperate driving one day down to my home, down to the beach, and I just couldn't stand the madness anymore. And what was happening to me, my brain was like a poker machine. And, and I couldn't listen for more than 30 seconds to anything. Just, and I thought, oh, if I could just get some relief. And I thought, I'll do it. I'll try it. And I said, Mr. C, if you are a power greater than me, please help me. And when I said help me, I just meant stop my head. And nothing happened. And I didn't think anything of it. I just hoped. And little by little, I continued to do it. And I, little by little, my head slowed down. And I thought, oh, I wonder. I wonder. You know. And as it started to happen to me, and I started to feel better, I nailed this guy again. And I thought, well, I'll get him on the last one. Because I thought about doing it. And to me, one of the things, and I saw it, I love the things that are out here on the, up on the walls, you know, get a sponsor and all that sort of thing. Because one of the things that I didn't know is if your life is truly unmanageable, the chances of you reading the steps from that moment on is very suspect. You know, you will misread them. And, I, and what I read in the third step, it says you have to become religious and uh, go to church. And that's what it said. I, just, I couldn't see it any other way. So I told the guy, I said, I want to get well. And I, and because I was starting to feel there was a power. There was something working for me. And so I said, I really would like to do the first step, but I'm terrified. And he said, what are you terrified of? I said, I'm frightened if there is a God, he'll make me a priest. And he said, he won't make you a priest. I said, well, he'll, he'll make me Hare Krishna then and give me a starter cord on the back. And, or else give me Salvation Army and make me beat it on the drums. And I was terrified. And he said, I don't think that's the way it is, right? He said, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Tomorrow morning, he said, when you wake up, you make a decision just for the day you won't drink. And he said, and then you make a decision just for the day you will live and let live. Because he said, I believe God's will for you is to live and let live. Do you think you can do that? 
do you think you can go through the day without arguing with anybody, without debating anything, without just, you know, just mind your own business, no matter what your wife does, ignore it, no matter what the kids do, ignore it, just mind your own business. Do you think you can do that? Because when you can do that for 24 hours, you come back and see me. And I just was annoyed with him. I just want to punch him. And I thought, and I thought about doing it. I thought, that's right. And I thought about my wife, and I thought, I, I know I'll do that tomorrow morning, and if she smashes all the windows, I'll just ignore her, and it'll make her crazy, and it made me feel good to make her crazy. <laughs> and, if, and if the kids crap on the floor, I'll pretend I didn't see it. I'll just, I'll just ignore it. God, that made me feel good. I thought, I'm going to do this. And next day, next day, I said, just about my mind, I don't care what happens. And sure enough, by 10 o'clock, and now he said to me, he had a little extra to it. He said, if you blow it, he said, you have to wait till the next day to start again. Once you blow it, it's finished. And you let me know when you've done 24 hours straight without doing any, you know, any. And so by 10 o'clock in the morning, I was at my wife. She said something to me and it just made me crazy. And I attacked. And then I wanted to say to her, because I wouldn't talk to her, I said, you bitch, you, you ruined my whole day. I was going to have By the end of the week, I learned one thing, that I had very little chance of doing it. I thought, God damn it, is. I wouldn't have believed it's so difficult. I was just so spontaneous. Now, just to, you're not going to shut up now, but just to show you that, to help you with that, if you're going to give that a shot, is that you will find, if you'd be like me, there is physical parts of your day that you do not know about, and I did not know about it, but doing this action helped me. And it took me a long, long time to get 24 hours minding my own business. It took me a long time to do the third step that way. But in doing it, I can assure you one special thing. In the time that I did it, I never thought of drinking. Boy, I was so busy doing that third step to prove to that guy that I could do it just on an ego trip that I never had time to think about drinking. I was so busy planning ways. Now, one of the characters about physical side, or that part of my drinking, was that every day at four o'clock, my wife turned into a bitch and a witch. And I would attack and I would lose it. I'd have it all okay to win, but then four o'clock I'd go off. So I, I couldn't make out what the hell's wrong. So I started to... It quarter to four. I didn't know why time. Why four o'clock? Why four o'clock? And so at quarter to four, I would make a decision to go wander down the beach and get out of it and come back in time for dinner. But if she said anything to me, I'd punch her one. And if she asked where I'd been, I'll tell her the party shut up. And just, my head was going. I was really struggling because I did not have any spirituality in my life except hoping that I could find it. And uh, what I was able to discover after a time, yet for years and years and years, when I'm home, four o'clock was the time I drank. And I never, I never drank on my own. I could not drink on my own because my dad did, and alcoholic on my own. So I always got someone to drink with me. And if my wife wouldn't drink with me, I would go to the club or the pub. And I would sit at four o'clock every afternoon. And if, and as I say, if she wouldn't drink with me, I'd pick an argument with her and go drinking. And that's what I was doing. At four o'clock, my mind would go off. It's time to drink, rush that bitch, and away I'd go, you know, and because I was trying to stay. So I share that there was physical aspects of recovery I, I learned through trying to put the steps in my life. I've run out of time, and I'm just, really, I'm most grateful that I'm here. I'm thrilled to be part of it. I've, it's been an upside-down talk, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> but I feel good. I'm, I'm most grateful for asking me to come here and participate with you. Thank you very much.